Welcome to Abergavenny Baptist Church, building faith and friendship. So the Bible reads from Luke chapter 13, verses 1 to 9. Now there were some present at the time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. All those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will perish. Then he told them this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, Leave it alone for one more year, and I will dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. So we continue our series entitled Parables Jesus Told, where we're looking at those stories, those pointed stories, those stories that make a point that Jesus told in Luke's Gospel. And today we're looking at Luke chapter 13 and verses 1 to 9, where Jesus tells the parable about the barren fig tree. And we get the context of this parable in the first five verses. So we read in Luke chapter 13 and verse 1. Now there were some present at the time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Okay, so Jesus comes from up north in Galilee and he's traveling down south to Jerusalem. And on his way down to Jerusalem, these guys come up to him and tell him the story about how Pilate, the Roman governor, the, the governor of the occupying forces in Israel had killed a whole bunch of Galileans. Now, we, we know from secular histor- historians that Pilate was a very unpleasant, unpopular, and brutal governor. And he brutally crushed many uprisings against Rome. And so he most likely suspected these, this bunch of Galileans to, they were going to cause a riot or they were going to start some kind of uprising. So he sent his henchmen in to kill them when they least expect it. And to make matters worse for the Jews, he kills them while they're worshipping in the temple. He is completely insensitive to their religious feelings and practices. And we told that their blood was mixed in with the blood of the sacrifices on the temple courtyard. Imagine... A foreign occupying force storming into church and gunning down a whole lot of people while they're taking communion so that their blood and the communion wine is all mingled together. And effectively what these guys are saying to Jesus is, what do you think about that? What do you think about that? Now we need to remember that Jesus is leading a bunch of Galileans all the way to Jerusalem, to the very temple where this atrocity took place. If I was Jesus, and if I was en route to Jerusalem, 
When somebody tells me this story, I would immediately be phoning my travel agent to book a flight to somewhere a little less dangerous. Are these tickets uh, you know, transferable? How much to switch to Greece? I mean, this is a natural response. Thanks for the heads up, definitely not going there. Another very natural response would be to say, how dare Pilate do that? Especially in the temple. This demands justice. We need to get even. That's a very natural response. You see, this story is, em- is emotionally charged. I mean, it's going to stir Jews to the point of rage and retaliation. It's going to stir nationalistic and religious zeal within them that's going to lead to retaliation and violence. And this is the kind of response they're expecting from Jesus. I mean, after all, isn't he the Messiah? Isn't he the chosen king who's going to raise up an army and kick out these Romans, defeat all evil? You see, these, these Jewish people in that time were thinking in very nationalistic terms, and so evil was always defined as another nation or another people group. So how is Jesus going to respond? How is he going to respond? Well, we read in verses 2 to 4, Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will perish. All those 18 who died when the tower in Salem fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Wow. (laughs) I mean, that's quite a daring response. I mean, the natural response, the response they were expecting was, how dare they, I'm going to get even. That's what they were expecting. Any response that didn't denounce these actions was likely to led you to be accused of of treason, be accused of being a traitor, and is liable to get you beaten up. Yet, that's basically how Jesus basically responds by saying, look, look, before we start accusing anyone else, we need to do a bit of self-critique. We aren't all that innocent. Our hands aren't completely clean. Wow, I mean, that that is risky stuff. I mean, no wonder Jesus got crucified. To face a a mob that is, you know, all out to fight, all out for for retaliation, uh, emotion, hype, is at a fever pitch. But Jesus doesn't just go with the flow. Jesus doesn't just go with the crowd. He doesn't just go with the emotional hype. And he faces this mob, and he's able to speak and say what needs to be said, and he speaks the truth. Very risky. What essentially is, what is the big point that Jesus is trying to get across here? He's effectively saying to them, look, if you carry on with all this nationalistic zeal and all this religious zeal and all this hatred, you will die just like those Galileans died. He's saying this out of compassion for them. He can see the route they are going. And he's saying if you continue on this route, you will perish. Unless you repent, you too what will perish. Now, we're not 100% sure about the, the incident of the tower falling down on everyone. Uh, clearly, when Jesus told the story, 
All those who were listening knew exactly what he was talking about. But, but we don't actually know what happened in that incident. So a lot of people have thought, okay, this must have been referring to a, a natural disaster. But that seems unlikely because Jesus has linked this story to the story of the Galileans. And so it's more likely that these 18 guys were also rebelling against Rome. And so the Roman army has moved in, it's laid siege to the tower, and the tower has collapsed and they've died. So Jesus' big point is if you get caught up in all this nationalistic and religious zeal, all this hatred, then you too will end up dead just like these guys. So don't think you're better than them. Don't think you, you, you're not going to die because you're better than them. Don't think that the only reason that they died was because they were more sinful, they were more guilty. Don't think if you follow their path, this path, that, that you won't die, that you will be okay, that God will protect you. No, you won't. You will die. Unless you repent, you too will all perish. So Jesus is calling them to repent. Okay, but what exactly do we mean by repent? What, 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 does, what do we mean when we say repent? I can always remember uh, thinking that repent was such a negative thing. It was all about feeling really sorry for what you've done, groveling. It was like a very negative thing. Whereas repentance is actually a very positive thing. Repentance is, set, is essentially changing your mind. Having a change of heart that leads to a change in direction in your life. So you're traveling in one direction, and then suddenly you change your mind, you have a change of heart, and you do a complete 180 degree turn in your life, and you start going in a completely different direction. Uh, and it leads, this, this change of heart and this change of mind leads to a whole change in you, a, a whole new way of living, a whole new way of behaving, a whole new outlook in life. So when Jesus is calling us to repent, he is calling us to abandon our way of doing life and to embrace Jesus' way of doing life. And so within this context, he's saying to his fellow Jews, you guys need to abandon this, this nationalistic and religious zeal and all this hatred, and you need to start following my way of life, of loving others. Loving all people. Loving not only just Jews, but, but loving all people from all nations, even loving your enemies. Because if you don't, you will perish. Now, there's, there's nothing wrong with being proud of your nation. This was a big thing for them. They were very nationalistic, and it was leading to all these, these well, putting them on a clash course with Rome. But there's nothing wrong with being proud of your nation, as long as it is not my country right or wrong. There needs to be a self-critique. We need to constantly be crit critiquing ourselves and critiquing our country. And also, as long as it does not lead to hating the other. So often, nationalism is defined by hating the other. Hating the English, the French, the Germans, the Eastern Europeans the foreigners, the immigrants. And it's this kind of attitude that always leads to hatred and brings the worst out of people. And the essence of it is, is that it, it's, it's selfish and it's self-centeredness. 
It's about looking after just me and my own and looking down on others, protecting your own self-interests. Perhaps you're not very naturalistic at all. <laughs> just not that kind of person. That's fine. It's still the same underlying essence, the same underlying principle. It's that selfishness and that self-centeredness and that greed that leads to us thinking we, we just want to look after our own interests. We want the best for us. We look down on other people. And this causes all the problems in the world, the greed of the city bankers, the greed of politicians, the self-interest of voters, and so on. And it's also the same issues that lead to all our conflicts in, in our life, all the arguments, be it in school, in a workplace, or at a home, or wherever. It comes down to selfishness and self-centeredness. Jesus is saying, don't think that these Galileans are worse than you. Don't think they're more guilty. And Jesus is saying, if you don't change, if you don't change your mind, if you don't have a change of heart, if you don't have a change of attitude, you will perish. It leads to destruction. And just by the way, the, the, the Jews in Jesus' day uh, didn't heed his warning. And in AD 70, the Romans came and they, they destroyed Jerusalem and they slaughtered all the Jews. And so Jesus is warning them because he loves them and he's got compassion for them and he wants to save them from, from themselves. Anyhow, within this context that he tells this parable that we read in verse 6, and then he told this parable, a man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard and he went to look for fruit on it but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Now within the Old Testament, for example, in Isaiah chapter 5, the vineyard was always a symbol for Israel, the people of God. And so the owner, the gardener, was a symbol for God himself. And within those days, they would often plant fig trees within a vineyard because fig trees grew really well in a vineyard. In fact, they just grew really well. You didn't have to do much to make a fig tree grow. They kind of grew like weeds. And... Uh, they would produce fruit for 10 months of a year. For ten, in Israel, for 10 months out of 12, it will give you figs. But this fig tree hasn't produced any figs. And the owner's been coming year after year for three years, and he still, this fig tree has not produced even one fig. God is looking for fruitfulness in our life. God is looking at our life and He's wanting to see fruit in our life. What is the fruit that God is looking for? What, does the, what do the figs symbolize? Well, in this context, it, it, it symbolizes repentance. Or to be more specific, the, the, the fruit that flows from repentance. So when we've turned away from our selfish and self-centered ways of living and we've turned around and we start following Jesus' selfless way of living, it leads to fruit. It leads to a changed life. It leads to us becoming more loving, more generous, more patient with other, other people, uh, more kind. Our life suddenly starts to count. It starts to make a difference for other people. And this is the fruit that God is looking for in our life. But he comes and he looks at this fig tree and it hasn't produced any fruit. There's no fruit on this fig tree. 
And so he says, cut it down. And now that seems harsh, doesn't it? Cut it down. But actually, he's been incredibly patient with this fig tree. He's been coming for three years to the same fig tree, giving it plenty of time to bear fruit. And so he's, he's been really, you know, any other owner would have said, cut it down after one year. After one year of this tree not producing any fruit, it would be cut it down. So he's been very gracious to this fruit, fruit, to this tree. More so, this tree is having a negative impact on the rest of the vine. He says, why should it use up the soil? It's having a negative impact on all the other trees. You see, it's drawing out all the strength out of the, out of the ground. It, it, it's exhausting all the nourishment out of the ground, which the other more fruitful trees desperately need. Plus, it's taking up valuable space where there could be another tree, a more fruitful tree could have been planted. So it's having a negative effect on the other trees. So everyone who's listening to Jesus as he's saying this parable is thinking to themselves, that's completely fair. That's fair. That, that, that tree is hopeless. It is completely hopeless. It deserves to be chopped down. That's what everyone's thinking. The turning point, the shock, the, the, the punchline of the parable comes in verse 8. Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I will dig around it and fertilize it. You see, this parable is not so much about the judgment of God as it is about the grace of God, the patience of God. God gives it one more year. Now, who is this man? Who is the gardener? Uh, some people have thought, well, perhaps this is Jesus, and, and, and Jesus is talking to God the Father. But that seems quite unlikely. It seems highly unlikely that the original audience listening to this parable would have identified the gardener as Jesus. Also, it seems unlikely that uh, Jesus would be arguing with God the Father over the fate of this tree. So I think this is more of a, an internal debate within the very heart of God where you have the, the, the justice of God and the love of God are given voices. And the justice of God is saying, this tree deserves judgment. This tree deserves to be dug out. But the love of God pleads for more grace and a second chance. But this tree doesn't just need more time. God, God gives it more time. He's very patient. He, he loves it. He gives it more time. He forgives it. But this tree doesn't just need forgiveness. It needs help. You see, it's unable to produce any, any fruit. It doesn't just need forgiveness. It needs help. It's not able to, to bring renewal about from within itself. It needs help from outside. It needs God's help. And so do we. We need God's help. You see, our default is to be selfish, is to be self-centered. And therefore, it's so easy to be caught up in greed. It's so easy to be caught up in the emotional hype of a crowd or a political movement or, or nationalism or any other kind of movement that is championing our self-interests. 
Our default is to be greedy and selfish. We need help. We don't just need forgiveness, we need help. But this is the good news. God is patient with us. God gives us extra time. But more than that, God helps us. He, he, he digs around it. He fertilizes it. He helps it grow. And God is helping us by giving us the Holy Spirit. But God will never force himself on us. God will never force himself on us. He'll never force us to repent, force us to do anything. We've always got a choice. We've always got a choice. How are you going to respond? Are you going to turn away from selfishness and, and, and greed and, and selfish desires with the help of God? And with the help of God, are you going to follow Jesus' selfless way? You see, it's only when we realize how much God loves us and how patient God has been with us and how much He's, he's helping us and, and giving us special attention that we will be able to receive this love and receive this forgiveness. And then we'll be able to see this renewal happening in our life and we'll start to bear fruit. But God wants us to be different. God wants us to be different. See, He's coming and He's having a look at us to see if there's fruit in our life. And He wants to see fruit. If there's a, a peaceful way, find it. Do we get angry? No. We, we find a way to build a bridge. Do we get caught up in nationalism? No. We call to love all people from all nations. We call to be loving and generous even to our enemies. We call to follow Jesus' selfless way of living. And God is waiting. God is looking for fruit. He will give us the time but he's wanting to see fruit. How fruitful is your life? Are you producing fruit? You see, God will not be patient forever. God's going to give us more than enough time to respond to him, and God's going to give us more than enough help to respond. But he's not going to be patient forever. We read Last verse, verse 9. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. God is waiting. He's patient. He's giving us more than enough time. He's giving us more than enough help. But one day, if we haven't turned to Jesus, if we're not following Jesus, if we're not producing fruit, there will be judgment. God will cut it down. Now God's judgment is essentially handing us over to our own selfish desires and greed. And we effectively destroy ourselves. We, we start to destroy our own lives, we destroy other people's lives, and we eventually destroy ourselves. And ultimately it leads to eternal death. And so Jesus is saying to us, Jesus is warning us because he, want, because he has compassion on us. He's warning us because he has compassion. He wants to save you from yourself. He wants to save us from ourselves. And the parable ends just like that. It ends open-ended. We, we, we're not told 
how the people responded. It's open-ended. But the real question is, how are you going to respond? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we confess that our default is to be selfish and self-centered, to look out for our own interests. We want things done our way. And often we look down on others and we grieve. Heavenly Father, won't you forgive us? And Father, we recognize that if we follow this path, it does lead to destruction. It, 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 It destroys relationships. It destroys other people. And ultimately, it will destroy us. And Father, I thank you that you came in the person of Jesus to show us a better way, to show us how to truly be human, how to love others, how to forgive, how to even love our enemies. And you showed us a way that brings real life, true life and real fruit. Father, we long to see fruit in our life. We, we, we come to church and, and often we wonder, where's the fruit in my life? And Father, we confess that we realize that we just consume so often and we just take rather than give. And so Father, we want to offer ourselves to you afresh. And, and we, we like that, that, that fig tree. Father, we need help. We need that special attention to help us and enable us to, to, to grow. Thank you, Heavenly Father. We pray that uh, we would be able to turn away from our selfish ways and with your help be able to follow Jesus. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about Abergavenny Baptist Church, please visit our website at abergavennybaptist.co.uk.